Welcome to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Good Saturday morning to you, Jason Kong, here with Bill Alexander. Bill, how are you doing this morning? Doing great, Jason. Hope you are. I'm doing wonderful, Bill. <laughs> Anytime I get to spend some time with you, yeah, it's, yeah, it's good. Yeah, I hear you. Uh, well, that's baloney, but okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll go for it. Good. Um, I'm glad. All right, I'm Jason. Genuine. Here's the first test question, and I think you might know it's the answer. So early this. for a test question. I uh, know. Well, uh, first test question is, why is July the 20th, 1969 a significant date? Well, I know the answer because we discussed it before we <laughs> cracked the mics open here. But You're I'll, not supposed to tell those secrets, Jason. Uh, Shame know. on you. Well, I'll, play, I'll act ignorant then. <laughs> I don't know, Bill. <laughs> Come on. You know the answer. Go ahead. Tell the me. The moon landing. Absolutely. Uh, 50 years ago today was not only the day that we landed on the moon, but it was also the first time in the history of the world that a human being stepped on the moon. So second test question, who was the astronaut that stepped on the moon? That was Neil Armstrong. Very good. Were you, now, let's see. You were not alive when that happened. I, I was not. Tell me what that was like. That had to have been there, – there had to have been nothing uh, entertainment-wise or TV broadcast-wise like that, I would think. Well, I mean, truthfully, uh, for those of us who were alive, it was a day that the world stood still, if you will. I mean, it, it just um, – Anybody who was, I mean, truthfully, everyone in, at least in the United States, if not the entire world, was watching their TV, uh, you know, because it was momentous. It was huge. Uh, it, it was the start of everything, if you will, in a lot of in a lot of ways. Um, you know, as as Neil. Armstrong said when he took that step, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind, and so true. Um, and now, uh, uh, most of us could not remember the exact time, but actually the time of day that the um, uh, landing occurred was 4.17 p.m., so we're uh, a few minutes before, you know, four hours, <laughs> five hours before uh, uh, we actually landed on the moon. And then the walk on the moon didn't occur until bedtime. It yeah. was about six hours later. So around 10 o'clock that evening, Eastern Daylight Time uh, was when uh, the first step took place on the moon. Uh, so here's the third question. Who were the other astronauts? Um, there were three. I'll give you a hint. There now you're, you're really pushing me, Bill. <laughs> Was Buzz Aldrin one of them? Exactly. Okay. And um, he's – so typically the, the most folks remember the name Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin. Um, Okay, here's the toughest of the three. Right, who was the third astronaut that didn't get to put a foot on the moon? This poor guy. I, I don't know. I, Michael when you say Collins. The, Collins. Michael okay. Collins was the third astronaut. So, uh, uh, you know, um, it's, it's amazing. And, of course, there are 
uh, tr truthfully, for the, the United States, it was um, uh, a, a huge step for the United States because, truthfully, um, we were behind the Soviets uh, in terms of space technology. And um, there was a race to, if you will, going on in terms of space technology and the like. And our moon landing represented our leap, if you will, uh, not a significant leap, uh, but we basically went from behind to being ahead in the, in the space race. And of course, that has had a significant impact. On us, and there are some folks who basically resented the fact that the United States was putting so much money into uh, space technology and and that sort of thing. But the fact of the matter is, is that, uh, and a lot of folks don't realize that the research that went in has uh, significantly improved the lives of everyone in the world uh, since then. I mean, I'm I. There's no way I can go back and say, well, this, 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 and this all resulted from research that occurred uh, in order to support our, uh, space technology. And, and of course, uh, that continues even, even today uh, in terms of the technology that's um, been developed. So, um, but we can look back and, and be proud of the United States, and we can... Um, uh, know how significant that was 50 years ago. It's hard to believe it was actually 50 years ago. And for me, of course, 50 years is significant because I just came back uh, a few weeks ago from my 50th high school reunion. So everyone knows pretty much how old I am from that. Uh, but I, I will give you another secret, and that is I was young, uh, younger than most of my classmates, um, so I was 17 when I, I graduated from high school. Um, so it doesn't take much math to figure out how old I am today. <laughs> I don't have enough fingers to count that high, Bill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but I mean, truthfully, um, many of the uh, of the issues that I talk about are issues that affect. Um, uh, those of us who were alive and watching television uh, uh, 50 years ago uh, related to um, the day the world stopped and we actually stepped foot on, on the moon. Uh, one of the things that's really surprising is that other than the fact that uh, we, um, you know, we did land additional spacecraft on the moon after that and a few other folks got to step on the moon, uh, how many folks stepped on the moon? Do you know, that's our last question of the day. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> let's go five. Uh, nope, 12. 12, only, okay. Only 12 and only 12 uh, astronauts actually um, stepped on the moon. Uh, and while that's fairly insignificant, you know, fact is um, we haven't gone back. That's right. You know, we've, we've uh, sent – things to Mars, and we've certainly had this, the uh, space station and that sort of thing. And, and one of the good things is that a lot of the space, space technology is where countries have actually come together and uh, worked on it together. And even today, which one of the most unbelievable things is that there are individuals, uh, non-governmental folks who are actually 
um, trying to contribute and are contributing to um, space technology. It's pretty cool if you yeah, really think about it. Really it really is. Okay. Now, uh, I, you know, uh, this program is supposed to be about asset protection, so I'll make an excuse. What's the most important asset that each one of us has? Oh, how about <laughs> how about your home, Bill? No, 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 no. The, I'm gonna. The, I, I, that was a teaser. Actually, um, I, I have no business talking about this subject, but I'm going to anyway. <laughs> but truthfully, the most important asset we have is our own bodies. That's uh, true, right? Okay. Now you're young, and you don't have the problem that most of us who saw the space landing have. Do you know what that problem is? What's that? We weigh too much. (laughs) (laughs) We need to lose weight. Uh, You know, uh, the fact is is that it's a billion-dollar industry, and we keep coming back to it because, uh, you know, we lose a little weight, then we gain a little weight or more. And we lose a little weight, then we gain a bunch of weight, and then it's like, what have I done? And the, the, so the, the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, all of us know the secret, it's not a secret, uh, of losing weight, which is what? A diet and exercise. Yeah, diet and exercise. So, uh, and, and of course, most of us don't diet enough, and the rest of us don't exercise enough <laughs> so and and my you know um and exercise needs to actually come in three forms it's not uh, i mean it, it's a matter of three things uh stretching which mm-hmm. is really important i'm good at that that's the one of the three that i i do pretty good on uh but the others are just as important to us and maybe more important than stretching and that is Cardiovascular, in other words, something to make your heart go, uh, heart, you know, harder, longer than what most of us do. And the sad thing for me is that sailing doesn't really do that, uh, <laughs> and fishing doesn't do that at all. So uh, that doesn't help me a whole lot. But cardiovascular training uh, uh, regularly and weightlifting—that might be the surprise uh, for a lot of folks. But even older folks should have some kind of lift weight, uh, lifting uh, weights. And it doesn't actually require weights. I mean, you can do some types of push-ups or modified push-ups or things like that. But what I know we have to take a break, but what I wanted to talk about was a book that is fascinating to me, and I wanted to share it uh, with folks as it relates to diet. So we know about exercise, and we know that we need to eat less and that sort of thing. But one of the things I just have been reading about is something that I think folks might be interested in that, you know, um, anyway, so when we come back, I'll talk about that. We'll get to that, of course, as Bill mentioned, health, our most important asset. And we also need to tell you about a new seminar opportunity happening next month. If you've listened to this program, you know that Bill puts on free seminars every month. But we've got something new that we're going to be presenting to everyone. And we'll do that a little bit later in the show. Stick around. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF.
You're listening to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. You can find more about Bill at WGALaw.com. That's his website, WGALaw.com. I am Jason Kong. He is Bill Alexander. And Bill, just before the break, you were telling us about a fascinating book that you're reading related to diet. Well, the reason I'm fascinated with it is because it really comes from a totally different angle than most diet books and diet gurus and and things like that. And I think uh, that it actually has some validity. uh, And and I I can't say that I've proven the validity personally because I'm just now reading it and I'm going to say, okay, I'm going to alter as much as I can. And I realize that I'm not going to be perfect and I will cheat. Um, because uh, it basically tells me to cut out a bunch of stuff that I really enjoy. <laughs> so, you know, so what is it? Uh, well, it's um, the book is called Eat Right for Your Type, and they're talking about your blood type. In other words, um, you know, there are four different blood types, and what and this is written by uh, Dr. Peter J. Diadamo, in other words, a medical doctor um, who's studied this vigorously. And the bottom line is is that blood types are significant in everything that we do medically and otherwise. And so, um, and so, uh, I mean, clearly we all know that we are individuals and unique human beings, um, uh, but. Uh, one of the significant things that makes us different is our blood type. And, and uh, of course, uh, we all know that s- certain folks can do certain things and eat certain things and have no effect on them, and others of us that we do it, and it kills us. <laughs> so, you know, it might very well be related to your blood type. Well, one of the things – now, in my, in my own – History. I, I know my father's side of the family uh, uh, pretty well because I can trace my my own genealogy back uh, to uh, the lowlands of Scotland. Uh, and uh, when we first came over uh, to the United States uh, prior to the the 1600s, and uh, or when we came over in the 1600s, but I can uh, my descent clearly is Scot Irish. Uh, but, you know, the issue for most of us, and it's true for me, I, I have no clue about the maternal side of my family. And uh, while so clearly on my father's side, it's Western European, you know, Scott-Irish. I mean, that's about as West European as you can get. Uh, but on my, uh, my blood type is B, B positive, and uh, B positive. B positive blood type is actually uh, this will sound funky, but it's Eastern European. So I clearly have Eastern European blood in me. <laughs> so, uh, so you know, and I have not done a DNA test. I don't have a clue, but that it's just a very prevalent blood type from Eastern Europe. Um, so uh, interesting enough. Okay, so what uh, I mean, it basically tells me. That uh, it, you know, it, the, one of the interesting things about this this book is it tells you what foods 
are really, really beneficial for you. And then it tells you what foods are neutral. In other words, you're just eating food. It's not, it's not great for you. It's not bad for you, but it's okay for you. And then there are other foods that are actually bad for you. Well, what I learned – now, some of it was just sort of okay. It, it's true for everybody almost. And so stuff like bacon and sausage and pork, not good for me. Okay, well, that's true for a lot of folks, okay, because processed meats uh, are generally not good for anybody. Um, but the big one for me was chicken is not good for me. Uh-oh. I've, tried, I've been trying to eat more chicken and less <laughs> hamburger, you know. <laughs> so, you know, when, uh, you know, I, it means when I can't eat bacon, ham, pork, or chicken, that's sort of tears me up a little bit. Now, turkey's okay for me, but okay. not chicken. All right. What about so, fish? What, yeah, fish is okay. But okay. I mean, what does it say that I can eat in terms of, it says goat and lamb and mutton and rabbit and venison. Well, of those <laughs> things, it's like, great. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But beef, fortunately for me, which I like beef, of course, uh, is a neutral. So okay. it doesn't hurt me. So it basically says I don't, I shouldn't eat chicken, but I should eat. Uh, now they're they're always going to say lean, uh, so not fatty types of beef, but lean beefs are fine, perfectly fine. And of course, buffalo is one of those too, uh, or bison. Um, and so, uh, but turkey and veal are okay for me. But I mean, but that's a a B type. So and. One of the good things for me is that dairy products are good for me. Dairy products typically are not good for any other blood type, though, which is surprising. You know, eggs are okay for me. Uh, cheeses, obviously, milk, things like that, all okay. Now, you might say, well, why can I eat an egg but I can't eat chicken? Well, it, it basically is totally different in terms of how it's processed in your body. So, okay, I get that. So, and then certain types of fish are okay, and other types of fish are not. All the stuff I really like are on the bad list. <laughs> of course. Okay. Always breaks that way. Yeah, isn't that terrible? I mean, I, it says cod's good, flounder's good, grouper, haddock, halibut, mackerel, uh, the, uh, fresh salmon, you know, all of that stuff's great. I love that stuff, too. But then it says avoid things, that this for, for me, like crab and lobster oh, and no. shrimp <laughs> and oysters. Oh, golly day. That's going to be tough for me. I love all of that stuff. Yeah. Those are my favorites. <laughs> so I'm in trouble. Um, but this book is just fascinating in terms of that. So for me, with a type B, I, I need a varied diet. It's really important for me to do that. Um, you know, obviously I need to exercise, but uh, it's really interesting. Now, if your blood type is O, it basically says you need to eat meat, high-protein meat, low-carbohydrate, low cut out wheat and most other grains. Um, it's basically, um, 
your risk factor for ulcers and arthritis if you eat incorrectly for your type. I mean, it's really interesting, particularly, you know, because a lot of things we eat, we can feel ourselves swelling up. You know, when I eat barbecue, which I really like, <laughs> I know my, my hands are going to swell up when I do that because that and it basically tells me to stay away from that. Well, you know, uh, okay, type A, um, what type are you? I'm O, so you, You're uh, you o, just so hit I mine. I just told you what you need to do. Eat meat and cut out wheat. Uh, blood type A, that, that basically says you, these people need to be vegetarians. That sort of blows your mind, doesn't it? Uh, so that um, – uh, and the blood type A is your risk factors for cancer and heart disease are, go way up if you in, eat incorrectly for your blood type. That sort of blows my mind too. So what about AB? Um, it basically says most of the benefits and intolerances of A and B. Well, okay. I don't really know how to interpret that, <laughs> but, um, uh, but it also says that AB has the friendliest immune system of all the blood types. So well, that's you have good the news. best immune system. Wow. I mean, that's pretty interesting to me that um, uh, – so, you know, who tells you to modify your diet based on your blood type? So – and, of course, if you're married, then you have to figure out, okay, what works for both because – you know, I go on diets when my wife go on, goes right, on exactly, diets, yeah. and it always makes her mad that I lose more weight than she does. <laughs> uh, You're supposed to lie in yeah. that instance, Bill. Even <laughs> I know that one. No, well, I mean, truthfully, I do. I probably lose twice as much weight as she does when we go on the same, you know, same diet. And so now we got to try to figure out which diet. Uh, I mean, what we can both eat successfully without cheating too much. You know, but I. You know, uh, you know when I, there's so many things that I really enjoy. Of course, if I go on this diet, I'm going to lose weight because all the stuff I really enjoy, <laughs> even ice cream's on my prohibited list, and I love ice cream. So it's like, <laughs> oh, I, my, you know, it also tells me to uh, that I can drink wine, and that's fine. Red or white wine's good for me, but my scotch is no longer on my li- good list. That means I, I'm. I'm going to have to try to cut out some of that, which is going to be really difficult for me. So anyway, I I just thought that this book was fascinating, and I I thought it would be appropriate to share it. But it's called Eat Right for Your Type, and it's by Dr. J. Diamano. Uh, No, I didn't say that right. J. D. Adamo. It's D apostrophe A-D-A-M-O. Gotcha. Um, Hard to say for me anyway. But – uh, so totally different diets for the four different blood types. And it basically says it doesn't really matter if you're positive or negative, that that has um, – it's in fairly inconsequential as it relates to the – uh, to your diet, but that the differences in blood types are extraordinarily significant. So anyway, just something to, for folks to think about and since – Diet is something that's important to all of us who saw the moon landing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that it might be something that would help folks. So I yeah. thought I'd share it. It's a super interesting correlation and one that I, I, I've never thought of, but it, it makes sense. It's an interesting book. Yeah. All right, a quick break and back with more. Stick around. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. 
News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. I am Jason Kong. He's Bill Alexander. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. And uh, Bill, we're going to shift gears a little bit here. And, you know, we want to bring up this conversation. Uh, we hear so much about the importance of uh, legal documents and uh, power of attorney. And I think most people have a general idea of what that is. And, you know, we often talk about trusts as well and the role of a trustee. What's the difference between well, these two? Well, I, I figured I, I better start talking about something legal or people are going to get mad. <laughs> uh, you know, it's like, well, we listen for the, to this show because it has good legal Im- information. Well, you already so. told them that they can't eat anything that they want to anymore. So. <laughs> no, they have to read the book to determine whether what they enjoy is on their good diet or bad diet. Um, so, yes. But um, uh, one of the things that is uh, confusing uh, to families, and particularly uh, to our our children, who become uh, our agents when later in our lives, uh, you know, it's very. I talk about uh, all the time about how important an advanced general durable power of attorney is, uh, because that is the key document in our doing asset protection uh, when a crisis occurs in later life when the risk is very high f- uh, for crisis. And I've said many, many times uh, uh, the fact that most seniors do not have an adequate general durable power of attorney. And and so most people sort of don't listen to me when I talk about powers of attorney because they're, they're saying, well, I've got one of those. I'm good. An attorney did it for me, so I don't have to worry about what Bill's saying. And I'm saying, no, you're the, exactly the people that I'm talking to are the folks that already have a power of attorney. Of course, I'm also talking to the folks who have no documents at all. But the fact is, is that most of us uh, who were given a power of attorney at some point um, during our planning stage were given a fairly simple power of attorney that was not designed to allow a person, your agent, your trusted agent, to be able to move property around and to protect it in the event that um, you're in some type of of financial crisis. Um, uh, Most powers of attorney do not allow you to transfer property to your spouse, which is one of the most important asset protection um, techniques that can and should be used uh, when it's done with advice. Um, now, uh, w- with that said, let's say we've lost our spouse or we've never married uh, and we've appointed a trusted person. Normally, it's going to be one of our children. Um, and so that person is a power of attorney. Okay. Uh, now, what you have to understand is that your agent under a power of attorney can only do, even if it's a general durable power of attorney, they can only do what you have authorized them to do in that document. And so even though the, the document on its face says, I want this to be a broad power, you know, to allow my agent to do stuff, it's, most powers of attorney are still extremely limited in terms of what can be done and how it can be done. Now, 
Um, and that's why I say an advanced power of attorney that has robust powers, that is a key document if you have a person whom you can trust absolutely. That absolute trust is a must because if you don't have a person that you can trust in your life, then you shouldn't have a power of attorney at all. You know, a guardianship might be more appropriate for a person who has doesn't have that person who can be trusted to always do what's in your best interest. Um, so, But fortunately, most of us have a spouse we can trust, and most of us have at least one child that we can absolutely trust. And so th- th- for those folks, and fortunately that's most of us, uh, as we grow older, we really do need to give our agent uh, far more authority under that document. And that's what the general durable power is f- for. Now, some people ask, well, what's durable mean? That basically means that the document is still good and can be used when you're not competent. That's what makes it durable is the fact that it continued to be used. When I first started practicing law back in the dark ages, they didn't have durable powers of attorney. So the law then forced – if your, your power was only good – while you were actually competent. If you became incompetent, then it required you to go to court and have a guardian and court supervision. Well, fortunately, uh, back uh, about the time I started practicing law, then that uh, the, the legislature wisely changed the law to allow agents con- to continue to um, uh, uh, be authorized to act on your behalf, even when you became incompetent, and that obviously cut down significantly on the on the folks that had to go through the courthouse and have a guardian appointed. So now the only reason to have a guardian appointed uh, would be when you don't have a power of attorney or you don't have an adequate power of attorney. Unfortunately for me, the times I have to go to court for my clients are it's about 95% because folks don't have an adequate power of attorney. It's only on rare occasions is it because folks don't have any uh, power of attorney at all. So that's a big thing. So now let's say you also not only have a power of attorney, which is an important document, but you also have a trust agreement. Um, now, this is where folks get really befuddled because uh, most children who've been appointed an agent under a power of attorney figure, well, that must give me the authority to do whatever needs to be done with mom or dad's trust agreement. And that's where the assumption is totally false, okay? In other words, to act on any property that belongs to a trustee, in, in other words, it's in your trust, a power of attorney has no authority over that property at all. You're not wearing the right hat. In other words, the only person who has authority over a trust or trust property is a trustee. You have to be a trustee to have control of trust property. Now, any decent trust is going to name successor trustees. In other words, if I become, if I go into La La Land, my spouse is the trustee or my child is my trustee. 
But you uh, not only does the document have to name it, but with a trust, you have to sign an affidavit that that says, "I am the trust. I'm the acting trustee. That my you know my dad's in La La Land, and uh, or he's resigned, and I'm the successor trustee. You know that sort of thing." Um, so, uh, you know, that's really important for folks to understand that just because you're the agent under a power of attorney does not give you the authority to act under a trust agreement. Now, I realize that I'm getting to a break again, uh, but so when we come back, I, I want to talk a little bit about um, how the, the, this may make a difference, the difference between a power of attorney and a trust and how it works. Excellent. We'll get to that difference right after this. Stick around. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Welcome back to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Jason Kong and Bill Alexander here together. Uh, we're talking asset protection, as uh, would be conveniently the case with a show named Asset Protection Today. And we're on the, the subject of the power of attorney uh, and also uh, the role of the trustee. You know, these are two important roles, Bill. But on the subject of trust, I uh, want to let everyone know, especially folks who have listened to this program for a while that you do these free seminars the second Wednesday of every month. And coming up in August, you're going to be introducing, you usually do three seminars on the Wednesday. And this coming August, you're going to be doing a, a special seminar in one of the three. I am. I, I You know, we will continue to do our, our long-term care seminar uh, because it's too important to folks, uh, particularly those families that are in crisis or those who just want to get ahead of, of a potential crisis, uh, because those seminars, uh, and of course, they're free. Um, they typically last about two hours. Uh, and we try to educate folks on what government benefits are available to folks, uh, what benefits they are not going to be able to get, what benefits they might be able to get or can get, uh, dispelling the myths around it, uh, because there's so much bad information out there in terms of what's available and how to get it and how to protect your assets. So we're going to to continue to do that seminar, and I don't want anybody to think that we're not going to do that. In fact, two of the three seminars uh, that Wednesday will be on long-term care planning. So our morning session and our evening session will still be on long-term care government assistance that's available to families. Very, very important. But at 2 o'clock, I'm going to do a new seminar on trusts. And I get so many requests to do this type of seminar that I felt compelled to go ahead and start doing it. And the easiest way for me to do it is to just go ahead and do it during the time that I normally do the three seminars. So my 2 o'clock seminar will be devoted to when a trust makes sense for a family, how to use trust for asset protection, how do trusts work. Um, now, not every family needs a trust. Don't misunderstand. There are lots of families where a trust doesn't, make, doesn't help any. And, I, you know, I tell folks, you don't need a trust. 
when they don't need it. So one of the things is to learn when do you don't need a trust and when would they be extremely helpful to you or to your spouse or to your children. Um, and so we're going to devote an afternoon uh, to help folks with those issues. And I, and I hope uh, – I can't imagine anybody that would sign up for two seminars in the same day. That would take an awful lot of, of uh, uh, gumption to do that. I would never expect that. But for those folks who are really interested in trust, revocable trust, irrevocable trust, how they work, how they help, how you can use them uh, to your advantage um, – I'm going to devote the afternoon session uh, for trusts. Excellent. That's the 2 o'clock session on Wednesday, August 14th. Uh, Bill, I'm assuming that this is a course free to attend as well. Just Absolutely. register in advance. Sure. Absolutely. You can register online at wgalaw.com. It's very simple to do. wgalaw.com is the website. You can also call Bill's office to register, 919 256 7,000. 919-256-7,000. Again, we do ask that you register in advance, and this is the Wednesday, August 14th session at 2 o'clock. This will focus specifically on trusts, and uh, Bill will still be doing the regular long-term care uh, sessions uh, in the morning and and in the early afternoon. All right, right, Bill, we uh, need to pick up back on the power. Let's go back to powers of attorney versus trustees. Uh, So, Um, What if your uh, advanced power of attorney authorizes you to amend a trust or have some other power to fund a trust, defund a trust, things like that? Well, you have to understand that uh, with a revocable trust, grantors uh, or the person who creates the trust typically reserves powers – as the grantor, in other words, as the creator of the, the trust, the grantor reserves the power typically to, um, to amend the trust, revoke the trust, put property into the trust, take property out of the trust, uh, and, and the like. And it's in the, that capacity as grantor that the um, – that the agent may have some authority on the trust. But let's say that you want to use that authority uh, uh, under your power of attorney that's authorized in your power of attorney, but you're not the trustee. Well, the fact is you don't have any authority over – you may have the authority to add or remove property, but you don't have the authority to actually execute the removal of property. So guess what? This is where you use your authority to direct the trustee as and you're doing it as the grantor or creator of the trust having reserved those rights to uh, do that. Now as grantor you could amend the trust, you could revoke the trust as uh, if it's allowed in your power of attorney, but that still does not make you trustee. So if you're going to act as trustee, which gives you the right to invest the money um, or spend the money or distribute the property that's in the trust to the beneficiary, you have to be a trustee to do that. And one of the things that really sort of befuddles folks is that most uh, revocable trusts are trusts that are created by a person 
who appoints themselves as trustee, sometimes themselves and their spouse as trustee, and they appoint uh, they also appoint themselves as beneficiary. So, uh, and oftentimes spouses do this together in a joint trust. So, husband and wife create a trust. They appoint themselves as trustees, co-trustees, and then they uh, name themselves as the primary beneficiaries of the trust. So, same party, and it, you know, it's like you scratch your head, and I said, "Well, what have you done?" And well, you've created a trust. That, that's exactly what the law allows you to do. We have a uniform code for trusts in North Carolina, uh, and in most states. And the laws we we had trust laws years before that. So you're actually legally removing property from your individual name and putting it in your. Uh, in your name as trustee, which, of course, is a role of a fiduciary to comply with the rules of the contract. Um, and that's how, what you've set out in the trust. And I'll be the first to say that there are some lots and lots of trusts out there that are very poorly written. Uh, and then there are others uh, that uh, are really uh, fabulous. And, of course, we do get requests all the time to review trusts, um, and it's amazing to me. And, of course, the biggest problem, I'll tell you this right now, the biggest problem with trusts is that most attorneys don't help you transfer your property into your trust once it's created. And if you haven't transferred your property into your trust, then you ha- you don't really have a trust, and you've created more problems than actually that you, than you've solved. And, of course, folks' intentions are to solve problems, not to create problems. So if you're going to make a trust, you, you've really got to transfer your property into uh, the, the trust. That's extraordinarily important. Okay, so um, the, the agent under the power, one of the real advantages is this. When you create a power of attorney and you don't have a trust, you've given your trusted agent a lot of authority, but you've given them no instructions at all. In other words, you've got the authority to do whatever you think's right, just do it in my best interest but you're not telling him what to do. So the biggest difference between that kind of situation and a trust is with a trust, you're not only authorizing the person you've appointed, who will be your successor trustee, but you've also given them direction on how you want them to spend your money and to to distribute your property. So, when you're a trustee, you have a fiduciary duty to do what the trust tells you to do. So for those of us who are control freaks, and that's about everybody, we all like to think that we will control our own money and our own destiny. Well, giving the authority to somebody else is giving up control. So when you do just a power of attorney, you're actually giving up control. But if you do it in a trust agreement, you're not really giving up control, even if you're not the trustee, because you're the one who's who has created the trust and put all the terms in the trust, telling your trustee what to do. To me, that's huge. And one of the reasons – see, when I do a trust, I always do a disability plan because – that's the one time that we want to make darn sure that our agent is doing what we tell him to do. And that gives us the ability to put it in writing and say, this is important to me. You make darn sure that I get this if I can't manage my own property. 
It's an extra layer of protection. And if you need help getting your trust reviewed, or maybe you would like your power of attorney looked over, get a hold of Bill. Go online to WGALaw.com or call the office at 919-256-7000. A quick break and back. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Welcome back to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. I want to remind you if you want to attend Bill's special seminar on Wednesday, August 14th, this is the two o'clock seminar. This is uh, all focused on trust planning. You can register online at WGALaw.com or you can call 919 256 7000. We're out of time for today, but we hope you'll join us again next Saturday at 11 for Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680. 680 WPTF.